Hey guys, Matt here. For Jen Gerson, it is the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. The culture wars, particularly the trans culture war, has come to Canada. And against our better judgment, we're going to talk about it. Plus, a few other things. So sit back and enjoy the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Well, here we are. I'm in space. Jen's in Calgary. And Jen, I was surprised to learn this week that Alberta kids go back to school before Labor Day. So for the first time in months, you have a quiet house. Yeah, no one is quite clear about why that happened this year. Uh, and I haven't bothered to ask because I just figured the sooner I can get them out of my bloody house, the happier I was going to be. But yeah, they went back yesterday. Um, so they're going to be back for like a, a day and a half. They have half days on Fridays. And then we're going to have a Labor Day weekend and then they'll be back again on Tuesday. So I'm not quite sure what the purpose of this is, but yeah, I, I'll take the time. That's Mine for don't sure. go back until Tuesday. And my wife uh, is a teacher too. So I'm going to go from full house to whoop, and that's something I should have turned off before but I'm going to go from full house to empty house in a in like a, a day it's my productivity in September always spikes yeah for this exact reason because summer is hell for parents I think the most important thing to note is that yesterday on the first day back to school I managed to get a yoga class in I uh, got all the presents bought for my youngest's birthday and I got a haircut plus I had a reasonably productive work day and uh, that's that's the magic of schooling for you I love it. It's <laughs> yeah, no, it's my, it's pretty fun. Uh, but also, sad. I mean, my hair, you're I, right. My hair is pretty fun. No, your hair is glorious. I do, I do miss the kids um, when they're gone, but also my productivity really bounces. Yeah, it's nice. Anyway, back to school or back to, back to work, back to our work. Um, I think there are only really three things to talk about, to be honest. Yeah, it was a quiet, it was a quiet week on my front. There wasn't a ton going on uh, this time through. So last week, uh, during this this podcast, we noted that the liberals were in deep shite, and as a result, they were almost going to they were almost certainly going to pivot to a wedge issue um, come the fall. It does seem as if the conservatives have what's the word I'm looking for? Exceeded them, expected them, um, gone ahead of them in the vanguard. Exceeded. Of them? Exceeded, yeah. exceeded is the correct way of saying this. Keep talking um, to it just for one second. My my son's iPad's in the room with me. It's going, it's ringing off the hook here. Give me one second. I'm just going to mute it, but you keep talking. Sure. You okay. entertain so the listeners for 10 seconds. I, I can manage that, um, even with my words alone. Uh, and I don't even have to resort to uh, more problematic tropes. But anyway, uh, yeah, so the, the, the conservatives have exceeded them. I believe New Brunswick and Saskatchewan have both uh, not just launched, but really uh, it's publicized legislation that, that they have put forward to say um, schools must be forced to disclose uh, if their children are going to be changing genders or socially transitioning at school. Um, personally, let's just start off with the fact that that is really strategically done. That every single moment that a conservative spends defending or arguing about parental rights, trans issues, puberty blockers, the whole thing, every single moment they're spending talking about that is a moment they are not talking about the economy, which I happen to know is the thing that they actually want to talk about because that is a winning issue for them. Trans yep. issues are very much a shield issue for conservatives. They are on a roll. They're seeing good positive momentum. Um, ec economic issues are sort issues for them. And in case you're not aware of that particular analogy, this goes back some time. I can't remember who coined it. It could have been Harper actually coined it. But essentially, conservatives see the world divided between shield issues and sword issues. There are issues in which they are on the defensive. There are issues in which yeah. they are on the offensive. Trans issues are very much shield issues. So even if they feel like 
we're going to put forward a policy that might be extremely popular, this is still not going to be the thing they want to be focused on or talking about. Yeah, the shield issues are how you protect your existing vote base. Yeah. Yeah, the sword issues are how you go out and you win over new voters. Yeah. People who um, would who would admit, I've never voted for you or I didn't last time at least. Yeah, so anyway, this comes out, um, you, you know, you've got Scott Moe trumpeting how popular this or, or, or how great this, this legislation is. Um, I will get into the legislation in a minute. But, um, and then you have Pierre asked about it as we would expect. And Pierre said, well, you know, essentially he pulled out a parental rights note and that is, yeah, I think parents have a right to, to know this sort of stuff. Of course, this caused all the progressives to lose their minds. They started accusing Pierre of dog whistling and parental rights as a right-wing dog whistle. And then we go back to our old conversations about far-right, right-wing, and dog whistles and how essentially these things have lost all of their meaning. How should I say this? You can't openly dog whistle. If you can hear it, you're the dog. That's the purpose of what a dog whistle literally means. Yeah. Pierre wasn't dog whistling. He was expressing his views on this topic. You can disagree with his views on the topic but it's not a dog whistle. Um, and of course this caused, you know, Justin Trudeau is now weighed in. Marcy Ian is now weighed in. We're, you know, this is a life or death issue for trans kids, blah, 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 blah. Um, and now the whole thing has been, has been politicized. And then st- what started circulating around the Twitterverse was an Angus Reid poll that found that actually not only does mandatory disclosure of these sorts of things have high support it has super majority support pretty much across the board the only areas where the support even dips for these policies is in people who are very young so 18 to 24 like recent college graduate types and even Mm -hmm. there i mean support for parents knowing that their kids are going through social transitions at school is still upwards of 70 percent yeah, I think so, the old number was what eighty five. It's like it's like yeah. You can generally say that this is about an eighty five to fifteen split here on this topic, which means that's the it, kind of number you get if you pull on like is ice cream tasty. So like trying to portray support for parental rights here as some kind that's of far right far right position that is really rooted in evil and bigotry would be the equivalent of trying to claim that support for abortion rights is because people really, really just like seeing fetuses aborted, just don't like children. I mean, like, it ain't it. And when you're talking about supermajority support, you can't credibly make that claim anymore. Um, Because I just don't think that 85% of the population is, you know, secretly harboring and festering over their hatred of transgender kids. I just, that, it's not the concern. That's not the issue. Um... So anyway, I think that this is a bit of a dead letter issue, bluntly. Like, I, I do think that it's very possible the conservatives, at least on the provincial level, might be unknowingly playing 4D chess because they have already come out and framed this issue in such a way that they've they've framed it in a way that has supermajority support with Canadians. And if the liberals were to try to tr- to wedge them on the trans issue now, I think it would be actually harder for them to do that. Than they might have otherwise tried like essentially they by i i don't like this legislation i don't like making trans issues a wedge issue i have huge huge issues with all of this and i have really huge issues with legislating this at all because bluntly it's a pandora's box but 
by coming out and being proactive on this, they may have preemptively framed the issue in a way that is going to favor them. And that might dissuade the liberals from trying to use trans issues as a wedge in the future. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's me giving Mo et al. too much credit. Um, but that's kind of my read on it. One of the things that kind of pops up is that there, this could be a possibility. And I honestly, I honestly believe it would, like despite all the, the the heated rhetoric on this issue, I actually think it would be possible to craft a, a mainstream position that would have broad support, even among the various parties oh, and yeah. stripes, which would be that trans people deserve legal protections, uh, access to health care, and, and to be treated with, with dignity. Mm-hmm. And that there need to be some either regulations or standards around uh, hormone blockers, uh, puberty blockers, and the, the transitioning of youth, and probably that we stop being credulous idiots about putting men in women's prison the moment they identify as trans and things like that. Yeah. I actually think like outside of the extremes of the culture war battles, you would actually not have a hard time coming up with a fairly coherent position that would have broad-based support. Yeah. But we have talked a lot recently in recent weeks about how Pierre Polyev and the conservative movement broadly is captured by the fr- the fringe of its base. This could be an issue where the liberals actually find themselves captured by the fringe of their base. Mm. And even like this could be a rare opportunity. And I'm with you. Like I'm not I'm not cynical. Uh, sorry, I am cynical. I'm not naive about why the conservative premiers are talking about this. But if they do stumble, even accidentally an ass backward into a popular position here a popular and sensible position yeah like a genuinely reasonable position it might be marcy ian and justin trudeau and christopher freeland who find themselves base captured Mm -hmm. and this is again this is something we have in in recent years largely thought about in the context of the conservatives and on some economic and social issues the ndp as well but Justin Trudeau might have a difficult time, especially given his current polling situation, going out and taking a moderate, broadly supportable position because he'll get murdered on Twitter. Yep. And that's right. I and I think like I we talked about this more last week, and I don't I'm not trying to change the topic here, but I think when you look at Trudeau's recent polls, what you see is that he is currently doing well precisely nowhere. He has no good news. And I don't like, I suppose if he's feeling YOLO-y, he could go out and basically take that as an opportunity to make some decisions. But knowing politicians the way I do, and not even liberal politicians, any politicians, when their polls get bad, they get more cautious. Hmm. So if the conservatives have, again, perhaps, no, 100% cynically and perhaps accidentally stumbled onto a sensible popular position here, I don't know if the liberals will be able to actually move to it here. Um, and and was, also, Evan Scrimshaw wrote a really interesting column about this this week, where he basically says, "I would be." I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't. I don't mean to mangle his words, but he basically said, "I'm probably in the 15 percent minority here," but that doesn't mean I don't draw correct lessons from it. Which is basically, when you're in the 15 percent minority, you don't necessarily have to surrender, but you have to move very carefully. And he said there was probably an opportunity to go out and come up with some maybe imperfect, but livable, moderate, supportable, popular position here. But if there are fanatics, culture warrior uh, types screaming at Trudeau for 
abandoning children to death. I don't know how he responds to that. Like Marcy Ian, I actually had a couple of uh, days ago, what I thought was maybe the defining tweet of the liberals time in office, where she basically said the legislation being contemplated by conservatives is a life and death threat to trans youth. And that's why she was going to vigorously monitor it. Like, uh, okay. Like, and that really is one of those examples where these guys just can't help themselves. Like, and they can't see it. They, They can't even see it. That's the problem. Well, it's like one of my recent themes of late is that the liberals used to be good at communicating and they're not anymore. Mm-hmm. And Marcy Ian would have been better off in that situation saying nothing because to go out and say like uh, they're going they're going for the hey, we're going to take a strong stand. This is a life or death issue. But she doesn't know how to end the tweet. Like there is no there's, there's no action follow-up. attached to it. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no call to action so attached to it. So she honestly would have been better off saying nothing she would have been better off even no if anything she would have been better off by being like if you support us sign up here so that she could at least could have could have could have uh, maximized this by uh starting to build a, a an external email list either for her own purposes or as a, to grab an email list to find particular issues and supporters on this issue who she could then organize and mobilize but the other thing I think that's interesting about all of this, and this is, again, a very bird's eye view, is that to me, this is highly indicative of a real pendulum swing in Canada on trans issues. Because two or three years ago, I don't think this is how this conversation goes. I really don't. Um, I, I, I think that, to me, the fact that 85% of people are willing to come out and be like, yeah, no, is a real fuck off into the sea with this shit moment. And I think that it is coming off of years of how should I say this conversations around trans issues that are detached from the lived experiences of most people and it comes after years of having not just transphobic evil shit but also legitimate and reasonable critiques and concerns about things like women in prisons trans women in sports puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors there are legitimate and reasonable concerns about these things. And if you dared express them, you would be shut down as a hateful transphobic bigot who just wanted trans children to commit suicide. That is so extreme and it's so unreasonable and it's so detached from reality that there was always inevitably going to be a backlash to that kind of rhetoric. And now we're seeing it, we're starting to see it from it. And not all of that backlash is good, not all that backlash is reasonable and not all that backlash is going to be sensible. And I know really, every bit of it was inevitable, but every bit of it was inevitable. And I'm genuinely quite nervous about that backlash, because like I said, I think that legislation on this issue is a real problem. I don't want politicians right or left dictating the kind of conversations that have to be happening or not happening between parents and teachers, according to sort of their own base affiliations or 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 their own very narrow political um agendas and 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 desires i would like to have a relation have a situation where parents can be confident that their teachers are being open and honest with them about what's going on with their kids at school and i want to have a situation as well where teachers you know if they have genuine concerns about what's going on at home have avenues for addressing that in a sensible way and i don't think 
hardcore blanket legislation serves either of those ends. I think it just breaks, it potentially, seriously, actually, it just breaks down trust between parents and teachers in ways that are not yep. helpful or useful in any way. So I, I would like to start from a place of assuming that, that the teachers are, for the most part, not perfect, but have the, the right intentions in their heads screwed on straight, and that parents also, not exclusively, there are exceptions, but for the most part, have good intentions and have their heads screwed on straight. And let's start from that good faith assumption, and let's if if we find that into this process that you know either of those assumptions prove to be false, then we can see if there's a place for legislation. But right now, I just don't see that that this is the appropriate way to go. And like I said, the problem that a real problem I have with this legislation is that when you start saying, well, mandatory disclosure is defined by law, you're also opening the door for the opposite, which is mandatory non-disclosure yeah. as dictated by law. Yeah. If you wouldn't want the other one, you don't want this one either. So I don't want the state in this. And I especially don't want the state in this when we're in the middle of, of, a, of a high high moral panic, lovely. You know, I avoid culture war stuff. And it's a deliberate choice I made years ago to not write about culture war stuff. And there were honestly two reasons for that. First of all, I think it's well served. Like I think the market is more than sufficiently served by yeah. people who are just fully into it. The line, uh, line's and, not going to generate an audience repeating what everybody else is already saying. Yeah, but... Yeah, but this goes back to when I was at the National Post. This like this has just followed me throughout my career. I think culture wars, the the market for that is endlessly well served. But I also mm -hmm. think fundamentally, and this is something I've observed directly, culture war issues are a trap. Mm -hmm. And they people I have seen smart, reasonable people go insane. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they come out of it a few years later and they're like, whoa, <laughs> like, wow, that was that was crazy. Um Culture war issues, I think, are unhealthy. And I think they're unhealthy to our body politic overall. And I think they're unhealthy to the participants. And there's something just in my personality when everyone's moving in the other direction. Like, I'm not contrarian per se, but let me just tell you something. The more people tell me to watch The Mandalorian, the less likely it becomes I'm ever going to watch The Mandalorian. Like, if everybody else is watching it, I lose interest. And if everybody's fighting about whatever the issue is i just lose interest in it i i want to go do something else mm -hmm. but i want to i want to mention on the record here and this is not the first time i've said this publicly and, and and you know this and then i what was it was it about seven or eight years ago that i made a prediction that i think is coming true now mm -hmm. it was a long time ago and i had said to you and a few other colleagues at the national post that it was going to be the trans issue that was going to crack the progressive coalition mm -hmm. and i just and i and i said it at the time because I said gay rights, I think makes intuitive sense to people. Mm -hmm. Trans issues don't. And I don't say that as a moral judgment, but I think you can basically convince Jimmy at the mechanic shop that his cousin, Tony, yeah, he's the same as you. He just likes guys instead of girls. And Jimmy at the mechanic shop might go, well, that's weird, but I love my cousin, Tony. You tell Jimmy at the mechanic shop that cousin Tony wants to cut his dick off and grow a pair of tits. And I think that's that's harder. For for Jimmy yeah. at the mechanic shop to get, and I, I think I, I, I was saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm no. saying that's a harder sell. I, I just I disagree with you. Do you want to know what I think actually takes this the trans stuff into a very different space than the gay rights stuff that we're dealing with minors? Well, here's the thing. I, like, yeah, like, I, 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 we're on different pages here. I think the problem is the progressive movement instead of kind of going, yeah, this is a harder sell. Like this is going to take more education, more time, more, more effort. 
they basically decide to go the opposite strategy, which is a maximalist position. And anyone who's outside of it, we yell at for wanting kids to be killed. And instead of there being a kind of a gradual process of gay rights, which unfolded over generations, it was like trans issues, which no one was talking about five years ago, are are you, now like a we, shibboleth of whether or not you are a decent human being. Yeah, and like we, we we went we went from not talking about trans issues at all to if you don't have uh, things in your pronouns and if you don't acknowledge that that sex isn't real, you're, you're, you're a, a monster. You're a monster. I mean, that is that is a lot of a shift. But as I said I I don't think that it's actually that hard for most people to understand, at least intellectually. Intellectually, somebody, maybe, but uh, oh no, uh, an individual saying, "Look, I feel like I'm a person of a different sex, and I want to go through a transition surgery." I think that a liberal framework has no has no issues with that. There's no conflict with that. In fact, if you even want taxpayer funded surgery to go, sure, cool, I don't care. I mean, yeah. when it comes to adults, what sets the trans issues apart is that it's a, is that it has the culture war has moved shifted into the realm of children, and that's so. If you are a parent and you have that complicated relationship with your child, you know that that is a very atavistic, very lizard brain, deep love, deep responsibility, very complicated relationship and dynamic. And you, Bobby, want to do what you want to do at 18 plus, that's your call. But when you're talking about kids, you are stepping on some real deep buttons there. And that is, and I think that a lot of the people who are on the trans activist side have jumped on those buttons absolutely mercilessly and are now surprised when atavistic lizard brain is now popping up collectively like a cobra over the collective masses going, you know, like you you can't actually be surprised by this. I'm sorry. That is that it was naive on your part if you were surprised that there was going to be a backlash to this. And I'm not saying as someone who wants to be part of that backlash, I don't. No, you're not. I know but, not. I'm not but, either. But no, we like, both like see, we, we both understand communication. And we both have kids. So like we, you know, like you want to take your kid to, 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 anyway, I don't really want to get into this, but I mean, like, if you think that there isn't going to be a, a, a deep societal concern with, for example, giving kids puberty blockers, especially when we've seen how some of that turns out in, in Europe. That is not realistic. And I think that you are not going to get over or gloss over that concern by just calling everybody who disagrees with you a hateful bigot. You know, yeah. if you think that there's not going to be a concern with children changing their pronouns in school, which, by the way, statistically speaking, tends to lead to quite a lot of those children then seeking out irreversible medical treatments or getting mm -hmm. on a pipeline for irreversible medical treatments. If you think that parents as a whole are going to be okay with that, without being consulted or talked about about it, I don't think you're being realistic about that relationship and the responsibilities that parents feel as a part of that relationship. Um, and it may yeah. be and it may be a minority of kids, but it's all parents who will feel implicated in that decision. I, I think I think you're right, but I I, I still do think to, to my original point that there that the trans issue requires a, a, a bigger leap than than gay rights. And this is for, just for example, I was recently just this summer talking with a, a neighbor. Uh, kind of a a friend um, whose whose kids are friends with my kids, and I was just hearing a story about a soccer tournament one of them had been at uh, for a girls' soccer team, where one of the opposing teams had uh, a male uh, identifying as female player, and this was I think the twelve year old age group, and the male identifying as female player was probably fifty pounds heavier, faster, and stronger than the girls, and injured two of them on the opposing mm -hmm. team 
Um, yeah. How many, how and, many, how many, in, how many female sports injuries are you going to tolerate before you're willing to acknowledge that this yeah. actually isn't a balanced yeah. situation? Yeah. And people, people will say that's an outlying example or that I, uh, that I, that I'm engaging in rumor mongering. People, people can think whatever they want. My point is simply that there's a very good chance that parents on the opposing team who might be politically and socially progressive or moderate and had a very open mind to a lot of these issues upon seeing a biologically male 12 year old steamroller a biologically male i think it was 11 year old girl because the team was 11 and 12 is going to become politically radicalized on that issue yep and i and i and i think you know again we could probably come up with a really broad framework that would have broad support here but when you have situations like if if that 12 year old biological male that i'm referring to identifies as gay there's no problem in that in the sports perspective there may be homophobia issues i don't mean to downplay that but this but there's no issues of fairness of competition and stuff like that but i'm just i'm gonna bet that there are parents on that opposing soccer team who have now actually become radicalized in a way that didn't have to happen if we had more sensible policies i suspect you already know parents who've been radicalized i mean the other thing I'm going to say here, no one has said as much to me, but everybody knows what I do. And people, you, you know, what it's like know. to live in this industry. People are cautious what they say to you, which is you know, nice because it the, gets the, me out of small talk. I think I will say is also, I'll, I'll should I say this. Um, remember back in the day when we were like, we are one major Jane Kriba style violence away from people getting really radicalized on crime in Toronto. You were talking yep. about that a couple weeks ago. Yep. We are one 16 year old girl in a rugby team gets smashed by a trans female biological male trans female who has gone through some stage of puberty which by the way has irreversible effects on strength and size that even if you put them on hormones you can't negate the the the, the initial benefits of that they're going to get their head cracked in and they're going to wind up in hospital or dead and that's going to wind up radicalizing incredible numbers of parents especially of daughters we're going to say, I'm not going to let my daughter participate in sport if the risk of her getting killed by a biologically male opponent is this. I don't think the trans movement's going to have, I don't think they're appreciating the danger they're putting themselves in by setting the expectations that they're setting, right? Like, I think that this is this is my concern for trans people. And that is, if you set reasonable expectations for the society requiring tolerance and acceptance, with some exceptions, some logical, reasonable exceptions, like, you know, sports, prisons, whatever, maybe you take that more on a case-by-case basis, right? But if you don't have those little, if you're going to take the maximalist position here, you're going to put yourself in a situation where someone's going to get raped in a prison, a 16-year-old girl's going to get killed on a rugby field, something of that nature is inevitably going to happen, and people aren't going to be rational in their response to that. And they're not happens, they're not going to be measured or rational they're going to say fuck you fuck you all now we're going to the backlash coming coming the other way is going to be twice as swift and it's going to be very nasty and that's my actual concern here is that you know we're we were going in a direction on gay rights and and liberal policies and liberal inclusion and i think all of that's being put at risk there and there the, the way the debate has developed 
is well it's twofold first of all one, one comment i'm going to make is that if that happens it will be global news oh, absolutely. it will not it will not be no. small town girl written up in local newspaper no. and am radio station like daily mail in the uk will blast that to a billion people yep. the other issue is that because of the way this debate has shaped up and because of how it has been portrayed as you know q minister in here in completely life and death existential terms and i understand why i i do understand the challenges trans individuals have at least in the abstract but the problem is the people who wish to do right by them do not have a safe position to retreat to even in the face of a completely egregious overstep because any step backward is is tantamount because you said at the beginning oh, you want children to commit suicide then. You know, the funny thing is too, one of the things that comes up, I'm, not, I'm with you, Jen, I don't I don't support legislation on this because I think the legislation is, is a stunt and provocative. But what's interesting is how I am married to an elementary school teacher and I'm well aware, probably not as well as she is, but I've heard about this over the years. Teachers are subjected to a series of mandatory retor- uh, reporting criteria for real or suspected concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, eating disorders, mental health, suicidal ideation, physical or sexual abuse in the home, bullying. There are policies in place that compel reporting. It would not be a massive logical leap to go to identifying by new pronouns fits in that same basket. And people will say, oh, but then you're conflating like identifying with new pronouns as something bad like bullying. I don't mean it that way. Everyone who's studied the stats on this knows full well that trans-identified youth have higher suicide rates. Mm -hmm. And if you are a teacher and you become aware of a risk factor for a student and you do not report it, that is actually not, that's not a neutral position. That actually moves us away from what we have been trying to do to keep kids safe. And because again, let's, just let's also be blunt, a, if you if you if that child needs some kind of psychological services or help, that's going to come from the parents. The schools don't have the resources to provide that. No, the so, teachers file the reports and move on because it's not their job. That's right. It's parents' job. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I again, I'm I'm saying this is a spouse of a teacher. Well, um, and and also, can we also point out they that they already if, put up with a lot. Yeah, I know they do, but also the, the teachers, by the way, if if they suspect that there is likely abuse happening at home, they have to report that too, mm-hmm. which means if they suspect that even regardless of the, say a kid is, is, has, is changing pronouns, if they suspect that reporting that would, would put that child in danger, they have a mandatory obligation to report that because then now they're looking at risk abuse. So like, and that's, that's appropriate. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I want, I want teachers to report something if they think something's off at home that's that's appropriate that's correct my other concern with all of this is that a lot of the um we don't want you to disclose this to parents because if you disclose this to parents you know you're putting kids at risk of abuse firstly you're you're taking them out of the closet so to speak yeah but the first problem with that is this isn't quite the same thing as sexuality it's it's a different kettle of fish for reasons that i don't really want to get into at the moment but i do think it's different but also, um, says, it, it's automatically assuming that parents are abuse are 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 potential abusers, and that child that the, the the ultimate responsibility to protect the children from the abusers of their parents lies with the state. I think that's a really dangerous assumption to be operating on. Secondly, I think it expands the definition of abuse. 
the type of abuse that I think people are really worried about isn't just like dad's going to kick you out of the house or mom's going to beat you, which is a reportable offense not to be. The type of abuse that I think they're ta- that they're really concerned about is that the parents aren't going to be immediately affirming yep. or that the parents are going to potentially say, okay, that's new. Let's take you to a shrink and we can work that through that problem. This is not the preferred option here. Just so we're clear, a, a parent not being immediately affirming is not necessarily abusive. That is not necessarily an inherently abusive position to be coming at this from. But that is kind of my issue here. And I think that when you expand the definition of abuse in that way, you're putting, and when you're operating under the assumption that parents are abusers and state the state has an obligation to protect kids from their parents, you're operating from a place where we are inevitably going to lead to this position where if a parent isn't immediately affirming of their child's social transition, that you're setting up a scenario where that the state is going to step in and take parents away. And I think that that is where this logic and this reasoning inevitably takes us. It, it takes us to a place where the state is stepping in and removing kids from from parents well, who aren't immediately affirming. You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't think your analysis there is wrong, but I'm actually going to, I'm going to step in. I'm going to accept 95% of what you said. I'm going to step in. And I'm going to replace the conclusion. What you're actually talking about there would probably not result in the state stepping in and taking kids away. What it would probably do would result in the collapse of any semblance of the child welfare system because the bureaucracy is already overwhelmed well like i'm just thinking how many stories have we heard in recent years of kids dying of like starvation and like neglect or severe abuse and when we really boil it down like occasionally we find out that the kid like that it was a blind spot the kid didn't exist there was no paper trail right and nobody knew but, but more often what we find out is that there were any number of red flags and the system was not able to follow up. And, you know, I, I, I'm I'm sensitive to the fact, Jen, that you and I may sound like we are or will be labeled as anti-trans on this issue. And oh, I God. think we're, we're both not. We're not. But I think there has been a failure of those who would be most vocally in favor of, of, of trans youth and, or trans people in general to think through some of what the proposals or at least the arguments being made will, will lead to here. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. Um, there is a real danger and I do not deny this danger. I agree with this danger that some children revealing themselves as either uh, gender diverse or uh, having um, a, a, a homosexual sexual preference could put those kids in danger. They could be killed. They could be abused. They could be thrown out of the house. The danger of that is real, but I do not trust Canadian bureaucracy to distinguish that from a parent having a hard time accepting it or a parent needing some time or a parent going, it's a phase and we'll get you therapy or we'll pray on it together. Yeah. And one of these things merits state intervention and one of these things don't. And I, I, do we leave that up to the teachers? Well, like who, kinda, who, I think you, the I think, person making I think, that decision. I think you kind of have to. I think you basically have to have a faith that teachers are the ones who are interacting with these kids, and they're the ones interacting with the parents. And you, I think you got to leave it to that. You've got to leave it the discretion to the teachers to 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 leave it to them, and just trust that they're professionals and and hope that they that hope for the best. Because I don't know what the better solution is. Like I don't I don't know what the better option is. Like, I don't think the teachers are out there trying to indoctrinate all the kids into being trans. I just don't think that that is a reasonable assumption to make. I mean, that's not a reflection I of see my... I got to you. Yeah, I know. But I mean, that's not a reflection of my experience with elementary school. I don't know if that's a reflection of your experience with elementary school. But I'm I'm just, 
I look at my kids' teachers and going like, you look like you're out of central casting for a grade one teacher. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what? My kids are a few years older than yours. So I've had more experience as a parent. And also, again, I, I this is like, I think third time I've been to this. I'm married to a teacher. I think teachers are a lot like the broader population, which is to say about 90, 95% of them are just nice people trying to do the best job they can. Mm-hmm. But about five to 10% of them have uh, the uh, fanatic gleam in their eye. And, um, it's, I, you know, but it's, I don't sure. I'm sure there's fanatics out there, but I don't see some kind of concerted effort to, to trans the kids. Like it's, I, I, I don't, don't know. I think teachers I'm not are seeing kind of typical of the human subgroup, yeah, right? Completely. Like so like, I'm not, I'm not really worried about putting my kids in a public school and being like that they're going to be converted. Like that's nonsense. I just don't think that that's a risk. But if my kid did change pronouns at school and I, you know, I think that I'm a good parent. I'm not abusive and I'm pretty open-minded and I'm pretty loving of my children within reason. I mean, they can be assholes, but anyway, you know, and, and, and I found out that the school were conspiring to keep that a secret from me. Because I think they that included, they could because, not trust you because with that information. I think that that would be more offensive and more problematic for me than the fact that the kids had had, had trans. So like, I, I think that was that to break down trust between caregivers that way is really dangerous. I really do think that. So I, like I said, that's kind of where funny. I land on this. Yeah, no. And it's, it, it reminds me of a column I wrote very early in the pandemic. Uh, I think it was the first summer. I think it was the first summer. So summer of 2020 where the globe and mail had run an article talking about a bunch of wealthy parents uh, who were all self-identified progressives who had put their kids into private schools or, learning pods or things like that to get around the fail like the the lockdowns and the schools and the shutdowns Mm -hmm. and there were all the there was just this wonderful hand-wringing comments from these self-styled progs going i really value public education but like the moment something Mm -hmm. threatened my kids education and i had the means and i just ripped them out yep and and favored my offspring here like that that's a different topic, I know, but it's also a lesson. Totally related topic. Yeah, like and it goes back to the brains, lizard brains comes to my kids. I don't fucking think so. When your when your i when your ideology or your um your your even I'll even be less cynical when your genuine desire to help people does not survive first contact with human nature, you need a new plan. And this sort of loops me back to what Scrimshaw was saying in that in that column he wrote, which I thought was quite good. He's not asking anyone to surrender. He's asking them to be smart. And mm-hmm. I think instead, what we're going to get is a lot of the same what we've already gotten, which is if we just yell at you over and over that you're a bigot, it'll work. Well, and this the problem and, why that doesn't work is that when it comes to parenthood, and this is this is what people aren't understanding. Call me a bigot. Call me a bigot. It's my kid. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. When it comes to my kid, when it comes to my kid, Tell me whatever the fuck you want. Um, that's and that's the problem because that's the inf- that's the reflex people are going to have to get over here. So calling people bigots is not going to work. Calling them abusers is not going to work. Like it's it. I will be whatever bad guy I need to be to protect my children. That's that's the parental mindset. I think the most so, militant members of our progressive movement might need a strategy reset, at least on this issue. But for what it's worth, anyway. some of you, you and I have spoken about couple of times before privately i think i don't know if we've ever mentioned this on the podcast you and i have both actually had the sense that the pendulum kind of hit its max about mm-hmm. a year or two ago yep um there was a story and i don't closely follow the trans stuff for all the reasons i said before i think cultural war issues are traps but 
there there has been it's actually seemed to have started in europe like sort of an unwinding of sort of the some of the uh maximalist yep. positions that had been taken mm-hmm. regarding um uh pr- prisoners or uh, athletics and also a- age limits on, on when um irre- irrevocable treatments are undertaken maybe we're a few years behind that here i hope at the end of this we actually come like see when the pendulum swings it's an opportunity to find a sustainable, reasonable status quo, yeah. but it's also an opportunity just for things to go completely batshit yeah. the other way. And yeah. honestly, given the age we live in, I'm betting on batshit. Well, it certainly has gone batshit in places in the United States. Like as I said, I might have some concerns about puberty blockers for kids, but I would never want to be in a society that totally banned all puberty blockers for all children. I don't think that's a sensible response to this issue because I think there are children for whom it might be beneficial. I would like to ensure that there's strong controls in place and that this is not overprescribed. You know, I would like um, a lot of monitoring place. I would want to watch the long-term outcomes of the small number of children who are going to take advantage of those interventions to make sure that the long-term outcomes are positive for them. You yeah, know, but, but Ron like, DeSantis is going to go raise. But, but Ron DeSantis is going to raise thirty million dollars on totally yeah. blo- blocking this because you know. Anyway, for for an issue we have nothing to say on this issue. We certainly did say a lot on this issue. Um, Do you want me to get into what my column thesis was, or should I save that for a future column? Save it for a future column. You can save it for the dispatch. I want you to write about the trans stuff because I feel like I'm too in it. Um, in our dispatch. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, of course, the other major thing was the weird travel advisory for. 2S LGBTQI people that that um, Canada put out as a stunt against the Americans in response to some of their trans stuff. I think you've said it all. Like it's a stunt. What? It's and a stunt. You and stunt. I have been warning for weeks that the liberals are going to go for the culture war wedges. Mm-hmm. So in our dispatch last week, uh, in our well, in our podcast last week, you and I kind of rattled off a couple things that could be um, wedges the liberals try to use against the conservatives, and a bunch of conservatives, uh, all of them. It's nice to be listened to. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of them reached out at once and said, you guys left immigration off the table. And mm-hmm. I went, yeah, okay, fair enough. So I included that in the dispatch. One of the other things maybe we should have made explicit um, was what a, a conservative friend of mine told me this week, which is to say, he said we weren't wrong in our analysis, but he found a more simple way to put it. What he said to me was, look, Pierre Polyev's at 40% of the polls, Justin's at 26, and he's sinking, and his his demographics suck. And we're and my conservative friend said we're stronger on than the liberals on all the issues that matter to Canadians right now. We're in a good strategic position. So he says the liberals will accept that because they're very smart politicians and they won't they won't run against Pierre Polyev. They'll run against Donald Trump. Mm, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a day after he tells me that the government of Canada rolls out a travel advisory. And let's also point out travel advisories are meant to be specific advisories for individuals traveling to a place risks that they may face. I'm not saying it's beyond possible that like, you know, somebody who's a gay individual traveling to America might face an increased risk of being targeted for getting beaten up or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, of course, that's a risk. And I think that's it's worthwhile to point that out. But he's not any more or less at risk of being beaten up because Florida has just passed some crazy law banning puberty blockers for children. (laughs) Like that's that's nuts. And that's an abuse of the travel warning system for your own political wedge issue and your your own political stunts, essentially. So anyway, I I think that that's a pretty straightforward position. I think most people can see that. Um, 
And then, of course, the last thing on the list was the government has just released its draft regulations for C-18. People who have been following us, unfortunately, should be very well informed about C-18. It's the, it's the law that's making it so that Meta has decided to not um, post your news on Facebook. The reason why the draft regulations are important is because the, the legislation itself is passed royal assent. But how that law would be put into action was left for the CRTC to decide. And so they've yep. put forward the draft regulations to sort of figure out the, the actual technical go-tos. And the, 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 the hope was that when the draft regulations were released, that both Google and Meta would find some of the compromises that they were looking for on things like finding exemptions to the bill or setting caps on the amount of money they'll be forced to negotiate or spend as a result of the bill, and that this might bring them back to the table. Well, the draft regs are out. Facebook was always very skeptical that there was a way forward through the draft regs because they're like, the legislation says what it says. Well, they and, said explicitly the regular, the legislation's too yeah. specific already. Yeah. 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 Like there's the they draft said it regs. couldn't be fixed in regs. Yeah. The, the, dra the draft couldn't fix in regs. They've stuck by that now that the regs have come out. They've said, nope, this is not salvageable. We're going to keep news off their platform. Now, I think it's also very interesting to note that I think that Facebook has been pleasantly surprised by the outcome of keeping news off the platform. I think that that's led to a more pleasant environment for most of the users and i don't think that they've seen any outflow of um i like facebook more now i have not used facebook since cambridge analytica all of a sudden my facebook feed is full of, it's nice full pictures. of like people i went to high school with like extreme star trek minutiae and nhl like season previews it's, my it, facebook experience hasn't been this good since university so and actually i don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that Facebook's going to take its learnings from Canada and apply it more broadly and just take news off the platform because it's just, there's no money in it for them. Um, and there's more hassle than there is potential upside for them. I don't think that's off the table for them, but anyway, so Facebook's out, they're gone. Um, as long as C18 is active. Uh, the question still outstanding is whether or not the draft regs have brought Google back to the table. So my understanding is that the draft regs, I mean, I haven't read them myself. I don't understand them just yet. So I'm going to put a caveat in this. But my basic understanding is that the draft regs are as much a capitulation to Google as the actual legislation will allow. I don't know if it's going to be enough. And if it's not enough, that means Google takes news off its platform and we are in yeah. deep shite. The problem is that, as I said, we'll see what Google does and how it responds. I'm going to hold off on this to wait to see, wait a day, see if they respond at all. Um... But that is worth commenting on and noting. Um, if Google stays in, regardless of what's in the draft regs, the liberals are going to treat that as a victory lap. They're going to say, we've won the day. We forced them to pay. What's actually going on behind the scenes is that the money that Google was probably paying legacy organizations through licensing fees and other types of programs is just going to get reallocated back into CA team. And my suspicion is the way the draft regs are are written will allow them a lot more control over how that money is actually distributed. So yeah. I don't think it's beyond the possibility that the legacy organizations are going to be financially worse off after C18 than they were before. And that actually some small publications might actually see, see this as a real genuine boon because Google would much rather reward small upstarts than zombie, zombie, zombie legislators or zombie media companies essentially that have lobbied them and put them in this position in the first place. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's even where this is going to go. I think everything's still very much up in the air, but I think that that's probably worth a note in the dispatch. 
So that just came out this morning, I think, right? That just came out this morning. I've not had a time to go through yeah, it. Yeah, me neither. I and also they're um I'm gonna take this personally. Uh they're also there, uh they did like a technical briefing for media, but they did it at like 9 30 Eastern time, and then they they released they released the announcement warning about it, like in the morning. So by the time I had my tea, I was like, oh, I've already missed this technical briefing. So I, I think yeah. that I'd like to believe that that was a personal fuck you, but there you go. Well, honestly, it's been a relatively quiet week on, on my front. Um, the, uh, the Greenbelt scandal is not going well for, for Doug mm -hmm. Ford. Um, and it's also one of the reasons why Doug Ford's weighed in on some of the trans stuff. Yeah, probably. Distraction. Yep. But, you know, I mean, I, I can, there's no point really mentioning it at any length here on the on the podcast. I can just mention it in a in a blurb in the dispatch. Sure. And yeah. honestly, it's the I mean, and that's August is over. Like that, we just got through the dullest traditional news week of the year, and uh, I'm glad to see the back of it. So we'll yeah, next week things start heating up again, getting real. Yep, absolutely. So let's hold it off there. I think yep. that that's good. Um, I think we talked too much about trans issues that we don't actually care about, but that's fine. And uh, should we try and get this written today if we can? Yeah, but I don't know if I can. So let's try, let's, but we'll let's try. Not promise what we can't. Okay, good. Well, at the very least, we can get our nice little podcast up today. Yep. This will be up in a couple of hours. Okay, cheers. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks very much, everybody. We hope you have a great long weekend, a happy Labor Day, and we'll talk to you soon.